Oh, man, here we are after two weeks of a uh, hiatus, as they say. Right, Dave? For you. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, yeah. you know what? Actually, thinking about it, I've had more time off in the last two weeks than I've ever. I've had two days off every week for the last two weeks. And then, wow. uh, and then we got the Thanksgiving coming up. Yeah, we do. And then... So that's always a Thursday, right? So people usually take yeah. Thursday, Friday, and then Christmas is oddly in the smack dab in the middle of the week this year, which is kind of strange. Oh, um, those pagan holidays, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole episode in and of itself. <laughs> sure is. Yeah, it is. Hey, guys, uh, here we are. So uh, glad to be back, actually. I, I don't just say that in passing. I was talking with Dave earlier about uh, work and life and whatever bullshit we have to deal with in our lives. And it's not all bullshit, obviously. There's good stuff going on. Um, but I was just saying, you know, honestly, I missed this the most, um, just being away for a couple of weeks. Uh, it's just something I look forward to. You know, it's, it's one of those good things to look forward to. So glad to be back. Amen, brother. Oh, thank you, Davey. So, uh, let me turn my vibrating phone off because it's going to create vibrations that are probably recorded at some point. Um, all right, guys. So, today's episode, Silencing Sister Suffrage. It's like we're stuck in alliteration now. We can't get out. <laughs> am i right yeah so again that question what the hell are we talking about silencing sister suffrage well i think it's somewhat self-evident in the title but uh the role of women the treatment of women in the church you know we talked a little bit about this uh with the whole example of the happiness letter episode a little bit here ago um with nancy rigdon as an example of, of that whole sex scandal, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, th you know, that's one of many things in this whole world or history of how women have been treated in the LDS Church. And I think, you know, we, I mean, we both agreed this is worth an episode by itself. So uh, we're looking looking forward to digging into that a little bit today. Why do we dig into this? Same basic reason as the other episodes, I guess. Um, it shows a lack of consistency. It shows a lack of caring and love by this God that the LDS Church teaches is supposed to supposedly a caring and loving and inclusive God. And it, it just basically is yet another thing, right, to show that, that it's bullshit, would, uh, how would you phrase it, Dave? Well, yeah, I'm thinking uh, going back to the formation of the church and the times at hand and, and actually back the last 2,000 years. So even outside of the church, uh, it's been basically patriarchal run. Yeah. Uh, you know, the business leaders have been men. And, of course, there's been all this movement uh, starting actually 
right after the turn of the century, but then, you know, the women's rights and all of these movements where women have slowly gained more power and presence mm -hmm. uh, in the community and in their families. But there's always this subtle undertone in the church, no matter what words are used at the pulpit, women are second class citizens. That's right. That's that's what shows up. That's right. And we'll dig into all of that, including some of the things that you just pointed out, you know, the equal rights movement, etc. How was the church responding at that time and so forth? So should be an interesting conversation. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So let's start with uh, one of our consistent little segments here. That would be the LDS Church in the News. So this week's episode, another article from the Salt Lake Tribune, titled Polygamy Lives On in LDS Temples, Spurring Agony, Angst, and a Key Question, Who Will Be Married to Whom in Heaven? This is actually a perfect news bit, I think, to couple with our episode today, because it's really about the women, let's face it. I mean, this angst and this agony is mostly borne by the women around this question oh, yeah. of polygamy. They, after all, are the the possessed element, right? You know, I have one or two or three wives, one or two or three or however many women, right? There, there is what is owned, if you will, in this polygamous thing. Um, this is kind of a lengthy article. I just kind of scanned through it before our recording today, and uh, lots of meat in here. Certainly not going to read the whole thing, uh, but some tidbits. I think it's interesting. So let's preface this article, though, by obvious statements and doctrines of the church. Okay, so uh, why? Because again, I think they're pertinent. How are they pertinent? <laughs> again, they show inconsistency <laughs> and the bullshit yeah. of the church. So just start with the quote-unquote keystone of the church, which is the Book of Mormon, right? And we have this story in the Book of Mormon where Jacob, or Nephi's brother Jacob, his younger brother Jacob, is teaching. And he talks about how the God has impressed upon him that it's time to talk about some sore topics that the Nephites are screwing up. He's like, I, I, you know, wish I didn't have to talk about this stuff, but God has impressed upon me. In other words, he's hearing voices, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> this is what prophets do, you know, little mushrooms, little, little liquid here that he found under a rock, and boom, he's hearing a voice. Um, so um, he talks to him about a few topics, one of which is really key is this concept that he addresses of, you know, these men who can't keep their penile organ in their pants and they have concubines and they're having sex, you know, other than with their wife and some of them are, are married with, you know, they have multiple wives is the way they're terming it and they're having sex with all these women and so forth. Are you He's talking about the 1840s? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that comes later, right? So he, they're doing this, and he's like, and he's very, very clear, okay? In fact, don't take my word for it. I should have probably pulled this up ahead of time, other than the fact that I just now thought of using the example, so give myself a break, I guess. 
scriptures. I'm going to go to Book of Mormon, doing this online here. Going to go to Jacob. Do you remember at all what chapter that was in? Let's see. Seems like it's in two. Yeah, I bet you're right. Let's see. Uh, yep, yep, here it is. Um, I'm just scrolling. Dun, dun, dun. I'll just do a little Man. search. Wife. Dun, 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 dun. Um, okay, here we go. Tell me if this could get more clear. Uh, so one of the things he says is, hey, these guys, one of the things they're doing to excuse their behavior is they're using the examples of like David and Solomon, right? Back in the day, they had many wives and concubines and stuff like that. So that starts in verse 24. He says, David and Solomon truly did have many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord. Okay. Um, Wherefore, I've led this people forth, that land of Jerusalem. The, I, my hope was I could raise up a righteous branch, right? Not this corrupted thing. I won't suffer that this people shall do like unto them of old. Pretty clear. Here's the whammy. Wherefore, my brethren, hear me and hearken to the word of the Lord. For there shall not any man among you have save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none. <laughs> is that unclear? Like uh, that, the prophet uh, can have one more than one, right? Is is that what he said? It, what, what's confounding is how that Joseph, who, whose imagination is, is the fertile ground in which all of this came out of. Of course, fertile, like, whatever fertile includes manure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and now he's he's got a teaching in this this book that's mm-hmm. the keystone of Mormonism that is diametrically opposed to his his own uh, yeah conduct yeah and teaching yeah and nowhere in here if you were to finish the chapter does he say behold the Lord God hath told me as a prophet that it's okay but for everybody else it isn't none of that kind of language. No man, not any man, any man, no excuses, no, no exceptions, one wife. Okay, so pretty clear, I would think. Anyway, back to the point. So you've got that clear doctrine, but you have this history, starting with Joseph, we just talked about, where, you know, we got multiple wives going on. Uh, And so... Yeah. Um, the agonized question came from a concerned Latter-day Saint woman concerning eternal marriage to a widower. Would she have her own house in the hereafter, or would she have to live with her husband and his first wife? <laughs> She'll have to rent a room in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Dallin H. Oaks, first counselor in the LA's church's governing first president, used the query during last month's general conference to set up a speech about, I love this, about trusting in God. In response, yeah, he'll figure it out for you. Oh, right? sure. That's yeah, it. That, yeah. That's the old scapegoat. Yeah. It is. Well, you know, you don't have to worry about it. God's got it all figured out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in response to the heavenly hypothetical, the audience in the Faith's giant conference center in downtown Salt Lake City let out a collective guffaw. <laughs> that's hilarious. 
that troubled many believing Mormons, especially women, to whom the, the possibility of eternal polygamy is no laughing matter. It's the cause of anxiety, nightmares, deathbed promises, and yes, earnest letters to authorities in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints begging for clarification. Doesn't that uh, smack uh, familiar to us, even back to folks like B.H. Roberts, who just said, hey, clarify Talk to God, get some clarification about these problems in the Book of Mormon so that it doesn't create issues in the future. Um, the church, And then we get into all this stuff, right? Church has explicitly barred polygamy among its members, excommunicating any who try for more than a century, but that has hardly ended the debate. Um... Uh, Oaks talks as well as the horrific massacre in Mexico of three mothers and six children from a former polygamous colony. The renewed chatter about legalizing plural marriage have triggered new conversations about the church's past practice of polygamy. Um, blah, 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 blah. And, then, and then she points out that's because the, the plural, marriage, plural marriage remains very much a part of Mormon doctrine. And uh, ceilings in the temple, and we've talked about this fact before, the temple, if you were to ask any active Mormon, where's the pinnacle of Mormon activity happening? It's in the temple. Where are the most important Mormon doctrines in the temple? And in the temple, hey, polygamy, man, it's alive and well. But what about what Joseph said, right? So anyway, on and on and on. Interesting article uh, goes along the line with women essentially being the targets of a, of a consistently inconsistent <laughs> and misogynistic doctrine, doctrinal history uh, in the LDS Church. You know, it, it might be worth mentioning real quick, since mm -hmm. you mentioned the temple and the, and the whole uh, endowment ceremony, when a man and woman are sealed in the temple, they go through the this process of being brought through the veil and it is the man in this case, the, the husband, who asks for his wife's new name and then brings her through the veil. Mm -hmm. So right at the beginning, the preeminence of the man over the woman starts at the first moment of that union. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good, good point. Uh, and she can't know his name, by the way. Exactly. Although all the other guys who went through the temple that day know it because it's the same for everybody, but it's a secret, you know, whatever. Anyway, we could we, we digress a little, but yeah, great point. Great illustration, I would say, of one of the one of the places we see a, a root of that, you know, kind of misogynistic behavior. Um or subservient or second second place, whatever phrase you want to use, right? So before we, we jump into that more, Dave, take us into our next segment, uh, which is one of my favorites, actually. And and you should start introducing this one, the whole, uh, for your information thing. Well, I do. I, it's been a couple weeks. So again, this is uh, from D. Michael Quinn's second book in the series, The Mormon Hierarchy. This one is, um, let's see, Extensions of Power. And in the back is an appendix. And he's going through church history chronologically. So we stopped in 1860 last time. Mm -hmm. So we're going to pick it up there. And since we've been talking about so many uh, castrations and beheadings, <laughs> the 
here's the first comment. It's from uh, the Deseret News, May 23rd. Murder after murder has been committed with imp impunity within the precincts of the Great Salt Lake till such occurrences do not seemingly attract much attention. Huh. <laughs> it's become so common. It's like, ah, whatever. Wow. Heads rolling down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Kids playing soccer. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. They're just following the Mayans, you know. I guess okay. so. So now Brigham Young, his crazy doctrine, and I, it seems like we brought this up before. Uh, the birth of the Savior was as natural as are the births of our children. And this teaching, uh, traditional Christians are infuriated by the re rejection of the virgin birth and Young's assertion that God has a body capable of sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. so yeah, there's a lot of tension is created by, and that's, you know, going back to Joseph, the things he taught ultimately resulted in his death, among other things. Of yeah. Course. All right. Let's uh, one more from 1860. Apostle Orson Hyde intervenes to spare William A. Hickman from excommunication and tells Bishop Brick, a man may steal and be influenced by the spirit of the Lord to do it. <laughs> That's what it says, man. So you gotta the be bishop kidding me. Reluctantly acquits him based on that statement. He says, Oh, okay. I guess You've, we'll let him go. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. There it is, buddy. God inspired I, this guy to steal, so let him go. In some of these, I should go ahead and look at his reference where he got that from. Uh-huh. Because he provides those in the back. Where, like we said a couple of weeks ago, people just don't believe that these things were actually said, but they're they're in newspaper articles. They're handwritten. They're documented. So, well, yeah, and and with something like that, my guess would be that it would be in the the case notes, right, of the court. Yeah, the minutes. Um, yeah, the minutes or whatever mm -hmm. you call it, case notes. Yeah. Okay, eighteen sixty one. Brigham Young tells conference it is necessary to grease the wheels, which he what he's saying is uh, that we need to bribe the government. <laughs> This is the first announcement of the first presidency's policy to bribe federal officials when necessary. So just, yeah, it's it's necessary. It's, it's, yeah, something else. Hey, why not? Now, hey, God could inspire me to steal, so he can also inspire me to bribe, I guess, you know? We got to get this government off our back, you know? Okay, total total shift of gears, 1861 oh now. God. Uh May 25th, church historian records that when Brigham Young visits Mountain Meadow, he says, after he reads the memorial plaque, he says, what it should read is, vengeance is mine, and I have taken a little. Wow. Wow. And so the memorial's built, this is long after they knew that these people were innocent. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's still a couple more references to it, and then oh, it kind of drops off the wow. pages here. But uh, wow. Okay. Oh, this is this is kind of big. That same year, 1861, October 7th, Brigham Young changes seniority of apostles Wilfred Woodruff and John Taylor, and ranks Woodruff after Taylor. First time in 22 years, he says their ranking should be according to ordination date rather than their previous ranking according to age. 
Mm. And then it's been like that ever since. Yeah, it has ever since, I think. Yep. Yep. How long you've yeah. been in your office, not how old are you? Um, right. You know, which I guess from an organizational point of perspective, I guess that actually makes more sense. But, okay. Yeah. Here's here's this bloodthirsty bastard at it again. <laughs> 1862, Brigham Young preaches, to hang a man for such a deed would not begin to satisfy my feelings. And he's talking about a guy who stole something from somebody. I, I, I don't have to read the whole thing. So back to blood atonement, is that? Yeah, essentially. Church historian's office journal notes that punishment, including cutting off his ears and branding his foreheads with the words grave robber. (laughs) (laughs) Cut off his ears? (laughs) Random viciousness, you know? Holy shit. Wow. Oh, man. Here's another one. Uh, Brigham Young, February 23rd, preaches that concept of mother in heaven is as as essential as the concept of a father in heaven. And yet it's not really taught in the church. No. Yeah. That's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. And here's, here's another one where it's like the one where he threw Joseph under the bus the last time we were in in Mm -hmm. here. July 13th, 1862, Brigham Young preaches that if the Book of Mormon were now to be rewritten, in many instances, it would materially differ from the present translation. Holy shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. I think we'll probably need to cut cut it off right there (laughs) because I get so wrapped up in this. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I just want to keep going, and then we end up going for an hour. What the hell? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if it were to be rewritten, it would it would materially differ. differ. What? The so there's my testimony about the Book of Mormon. <laughs> oh my God! Wow. Yeah, some of this shit is. Oh, just, you can't make it up, man. I mean, rails, man. Oh, rails. Wow. <laughs> Whew. Wow. Well, <clears throat> goes without saying. Thanks for sharing. Dave. <laughs> Happy to do it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, man. Thanks, um, Doctor Quinn. Wow. So, look, uh, this topic, Mormonism and women, um, man, that's like a it's like a five parter. I mean, there's just no way that we could talk about everything with. The, but we're gonna just try to hit some highlights. As we finish up our last 30, 40 minutes here. Um, So there's a lot of great resources. You know how I've mentioned uh, Wikipedia articles in the past, if they appear to be well-documented and referenced. Um, I'll be honest, I typed in Mormonism and women into Google, and that's one of the first things that came up was a Wikipedia article that's actually titled Mormonism and Women. And it's really thorough. I was kind of impressed. So it goes through kind of a, it takes it in a historical perspective. Uh, Some of the topics here, women in church history, polygamy, gender roles, factors affecting mental health. Interesting. Uh, The temple, religiously significant women, civil rights, dissent, 20th and 21st centuries uh, changes in church policies about women, Mormon feminism, fundamentalist groups. Those are the main, what is that, 11 sections, and then there's references, etc. 
Um, so pretty thorough, you know, and, and like I said, I was kind of impressed going through here. We will touch here and there on things like that. What we wanted to do, though, in this episode is kind of start off with a little media sharing. Um, so shout out yet again to Jonathan Streeter, who still probably doesn't know who we are. But we, I think we, you have that bronze bust that you have had finished recently, right, Dave? Yeah, I just actually dusted it off this morning. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had the sculptor add the whole remaining body. So I have a full body statue of oh, Mr. Wow. Streeter. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you put candles around it? I do. Yep. Appropriately, I think. Um, okay. I shine the top of the head a little bit. Um <laughs> TMI. <laughs> no, we love Jonathan and his efforts. Uh, here's an episode that just perfectly fits into this topic. It's called What Mormon Get? And I'll give a little preface here. So a lot of what you'll hear is from Sherry Dew. Sherry Dew is kind of like a famous Mormon uh, figure, female Mormon figure. She, I think, owns Deseret book or something. I don't know. I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't look into her biography. Okay. But these are the things I think I, that we know about her. Didn't she, Sherry do, didn't she write, didn't she have something to do with the music of the church? I don't even remember. She wrote a biography on Gordon B. Hinckley. Okay. So that's famous. Thing. Yep. And then, that, then she got a called into one of the uh, women's organizations after that. Okay. Probably like, Oh yeah, I see. So yeah. <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah see uh, how that works yeah i do um so here's sherry and then there's some other commentary in this little short video it's called literally called what mormon women get and this is again jonathan streeter thinker of thoughts if you want to go out to youtube thinker of thoughts is his uh what is it handle whatever on youtube his channel name um and uh What Mormon women get, she'll reference... So at the beginning of this episode, she references a talk given by one of the recent Quorum of the Twelve that was called. Who is it again? Do you remember, David? Stevenson. Stevenson. And she talks about how he... Well, I'm going to just start it off with her comments. Here we go. Ready? And I'll pause it. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what do women get? That's a pretty good question. What do we get? Oh, dramatic music. So I was listening intently as the new brethren were, were speaking, and during Gary Stevenson's remarks, his testimony, I was absolutely blown away as he described his calling to the Twelve. Okay, I'm going to pause it right there really fast. I don't know who that woman is who's voicing over. No. Um, no. I probably should have researched that before our episode. Jonathan does not mention who she is Mm-mm. here. He doesn't. Um, but yeah. if her bishop knows about it, she's probably not a member of the church anymore. Probably not. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Good point. Um, you'll hear commentary from her. Uh, and if we find out who she is after we edit and post this, I'll insert a little comment on the website identifying who the voiceover is from. But she makes some great points. But anyway, I digress. Let's continue. And so it was on Tuesday morning of this week, just after 9 a.m., 
as the bishopric was beginning a meeting with the Asia Area Presidency, who are here for conference, that I was called to meet with President Monson, along with his counselors. Moments later, as I walked into the boardroom adjacent to his office, I must have looked nervous sitting across the table as he kindly spoke to calm my nerves. Oh, he commented, boy. noting my age, that I... Did he say kindly spoke or kindly stroked? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, back to it. I seemed quite young and even looked younger than my age. Whatever. Then, yeah, within a few yet, moments, <laughs> President Monson described that acting on the will of the Lord, oh, of boy. a call to the Quorum of the Twelve <laughs> was being extended to me. He says that he was in a meeting as the presiding bishop and he was called in to meet with President Monson and he alone met with President Monson and his counselors. Not and good. then in a, in a quiet moment, they extended to him that Jesus had called him to be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. Mm -hmm. He asked me if I would accept this call to which following what I'm sure was a very undignified, audible gasp. In complete shock, I responded affirmatively. Oh, yeah. He said he accepted the call, and they continued to put him at ease. He says this was in the morning. I rehearsed what I have just described to you, to my sweet companion, Lisa. Sweet companion. Sweet. That's sweet. one of my favorite terminology that the brethren use. Sweet companion. Okay, anyway. Later that day, seated in a quiet corner on Temple Square with a serene view of the temple and of the historic course. tabernacle line before us. Okay, so I know the voiceover chick's going to talk about this. Um, what? <laughs> so they meet with him alone. They call him as a 12-pot. As a they stroke him to make him feel better, I guess. It's something like that, I thought he said. Um, and then... No, his wife isn't there as part of this decision. Um, is it not impactful to be called as a member of a 12? I mean, this isn't going to take much of his time, right? Yeah. Well, it, she covers it all. Yeah. It's a great job. Here we yeah. go. Yeah, let's let her talk about it. And then he says, you know, I've just rehearsed to you exactly what I told my wife later that afternoon on a park bench on Temple Square as we looked at the temple. And I don't know, I, I have never had something just feel like it was a dagger to my heart more than that. And I thought, he got this call to the 12 without his wife being present <laughs> in the room. Yeah. He, he accepted this lifelong position that will affect her life as much as his. It will affect every aspect of their daily living, where they live, what they do, how they travel, their relationships with their children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors. It affects their, I don't know if his wife is employed or not employed. It will affect every aspect of her life. And he was called in, extended the call, accepted the call, and then told her all about it later. And as I was trying to process that, two talks later is all about women and how much they're needed. And I just wanted to scream <laughs> empty rhetoric, empty rhetoric. You can tell us that we matter. You can say we're important. But if you cannot include us in this kind of a decision, we have no voice, none. Mm. And it's from the top down. Yep. And, and the thing is, I looked it up. The handbook very clearly states 
that when issuing a call, leaders should invite the spouse of a married person to give their support when a calling is extended, mm. which means that our own prophets don't follow that handbook. So mm. how can we require anyone else to follow it? Oh. And that you can say all you want, all those platitudes about women, how important we are, covenant keeping women are needed here in the last days. And I just say bull crap. Okay. Well, bullshit. We'll just rephrase that for her. Um, yeah. What else did she say here? I mean, I don't want to take the whole... I mean, this is good stuff. Remind me what else she goes on to say. Are there other key points here? Uh, Yeah, she she goes on to give the whole uh, big picture of how they are really just... She says, ultimately, my goal is is to vanish. (laughs) Yeah, well, look, let's do that then. Let's let's do a little play-pause-comment approach here. First of all... um, what do you say to what she's already said? She's she's absolutely right. Uh, I recall a conversation, and we probably should have queued this up as as little media bits in the show as well today. Um, from uh, a, a talks, I think I don't know. Was it a series? Was it a? Where, did he go to m- numerous places? Whatever. Lizard Man, aka Bednar, <laughs> and his wife went with him, and they talked together, which is un- I don't want to say unprecedented, but it's it's less it's less common than just talking by yourself as a man in, in the authority. Um, oh, I'm gonna let my wife talk to you. Oh, thank you. Uh, and there actually, Streeter addresses that conference slash talk, whatever it was, as well separately uh, in his channel about how Bednar is called. Wasn't it also to the twelve, or was it before then? This big deal calling that he got. Um, and he leaves, and his wife falls to the floor. Do you remember what the calling was? I don't know. I, it probably doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Again, it was she wasn't included. He's just informing her, hey, I'm taking this. You know, it's going to take more time, whatever. And she had just talked about the fact that she's already just running rampant. He's rarely home with his church callings. He's, you know, she's got to tackle the whole family on her own. Uh, and it was already hard. And then he drops this on her. He walks out. She f- literally falls to the floor, she said. And she's just crying. She's like, how am I going to do this? Uh, yeah, right? Uh, but you're expected to. Um, and and that's just part of what you do. Suck it up, chick. You know? Um, you don't matter. So, any other thoughts on that before we continue this, this, these comments? Let it roll. Okay. Whatever. You didn't, you didn't invite us. We have no voice. We don't participate. I just, I, I can't believe it's still, it's been too, it's all I can think about. I do not matter. And it goes further than that for me, which is just a much bigger, that the ultimate goal of a Mormon woman is to vanish what do you think she means by that? I, I don't know. The ultimate goal of a Mormon woman is to vanish. I don't know. Uh, well, it it's just her frustration. You can tell the level of, of frustration, yeah. even anger in yeah. her voice. Yeah. And uh, she feels completely tossed to the side. So yeah. essentially, she vanished. Mm. 
Yeah. Which is not true because we need somebody to change the kids' diapers. Oh, come on. Yeah, exactly. What's she thinking? <laughs> All right, man. Hold Then my biggest job here on earth is to nurture my children and to care for them so that I can disappear. Hmm. Why? I wonder if it's Strader who added this dramatic background music. I don't know. Anyway. Why am I working on all of these qualities? Because I am not needed in the afterlife. My heavenly mother does not answer my prayers or succor my needs. A man does that. My heavenly mother is absent, vacant, lost, gone forever, never to be heard from again. And so it's very shallow to tell me that this is my God-given role. It's just to vanish. And, and as you see this, I think, you know, the higher up men get in the church, the more their wives just disappear. Yeah. There are no state funerals for their wives. There are no um, uh, accolades for them. They don't have a prominent position. They just vanish. The best wife is sitting in the back quietly, just helping her husband shine. Oh, so they just show in the video there, uh, Uchtdorf was talking at one of those graduation things, and he's got the whole gowns on, right? Right. Uh, and his wife, it was like crooked or something. So in the middle of him talking, his wife comes up behind him. You can barely see her, adjusts his thing, and then goes and sits down, and he laughs, you know, like, thanks. Yeah, good little good little servant. Oh, thank you. And what a tender moment. What a see tender moment. Love there is. <laughs> between us what a tender I moment with you, my sweet companion yes i hope you college kids can find someone as as obedient i mean as a loving as she is <laughs> okay here we go and that's so offensive to me i just what do i aspire to as a woman what mm. i can be a good mother here on earth i i get that uh, and I enjoy that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my children. I absolutely love nurturing them and loving them. Uh, but I'm just preparing them for the day when they can be loved and nurtured by men only. Because I will not exist for them ever again. And I wish there were answers. I think, how do I answer this? In fact, that's my biggest reservation. And it bleeds into so many of the other remarks that were given that day. Because we had Elder Nelson just... Women, 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 mm. we're going to need you, on and on and on. And then all the way to Elder Holland's Behold Thy Mother, which is the topic of mothers is so filled with emotion. But, you know, we have this glorified, perfected version of what a mother does. Mm -hmm. And that is really unattainable. Essentially, you cannot succeed as a mother and you can't feel successful about your efforts unless your children are 100% in the church yep. all the time. Yep. And you should give everything to make sure that they accomplish that. For every woman, that's impossible. So you've set everybody up for a problem that they'll never be able to surmount, a mountain they will never be able to climb. Mm -hmm. And I find it laughable because we do believe that our heavenly parents lost a third of their children in the war in heaven, which means that our own heavenly mother is a failure. You know, That's actually a really good point. <laughs> Uh, and this this whole theme of being perfect is is very prevalent in church culture too, where you know uh, you've got the white picket fence, you have you know your husband, your your whatever two three ten kids uh, filling up a row in church. Everybody's perfectly dressed, perfectly groomed, no hair out of place. Uh, you look perfect. You arrive at church, you know you sit there. Um, and 
your husband's going here and there with his calling and you're 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 supporting him and behind him and and that's the point behind him I, and and i think that's uh that's part of the frustration that she's expressing here right yeah any further thoughts on that well i got i have some quotes here and what you just said <laughs> Uh, this is in Arz's book. He he has a section just called Women. Mm-hmm. And these are quotes mostly from the early brethren. And uh, yeah, th- it started right at the very beginning. Uh, for instance, this. True, there is a curse upon the women that is not upon the man. Namely, that her whole affection shall be toward her husband. And what is next? He shall rule over here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know that it, that that kind of teaching and thinking. How about this from Heber C. Kimball? Uh, he says, if if someone in my family owes me restitution, uh, they better you know pay up. And why is this? Because I am their dictator. Oh wow! Their revelator, their prophet, their priest. Nice, nice. He, he uses. Whoops! I did. Did I say dictator? (laughs) Now, a half step back to the prior comment from Ars's book. uh, If you look at, and this goes to the point, one of the things we mentioned, how the temple policy or temple ceremonies have changed over time. But you and I will recall, uh, until fairly recently, relatively speaking, in church history, part of the temple ceremony said, hey, Eve, since you, so Adam and Eve are punished, right, and pushed out of the garden, because they partook of the fruit, whatever. Uh, Eve, because you were the first to partake, you're going to give birth through blood and water and pain. And, you know, fuck you with the childbirth process because it's going to suck shit, you know. Um, And that's Eve's punishment. And Adam, uh, you just got to work, you know. It'll work. <laughs> Not that work then, is easy and we love it, you know, but seems... behind, behind <laughs> the scenes, you know, the women, at least in the church life, are doing really all the work. Yeah, that's right. With yeah. the kids, they're the ones that make sure they look right when they go to church. And, that's right. Uh, they yeah. feed them and they dress them and they, yeah. you know, are supposed to teach them. Well, daddy's at bishopric meeting tonight, so I'll take over. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean... But here, let me just read one more from Brigham Young, just to give you an idea where this fucker was coming from. Do not be frightened because of a few rotten, corrupt scoundrels in our midst that cry out, oh, the troops are coming, and that will be the end of Mormonism, in order to deceive the weak-minded females. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there it is, yeah. black and white. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> none of the men wow. were worried. I think he's referencing when the federal troops were going to come in. Yeah. Um, for no reason at all the federal troops weren't going to come for any reason you know um but uh (laughs) um yeah let's see how she finishes up here because it's i think it's fairly short you know 33 percent of the time so i don't know why we have this hundred percent kind of attitude about it and that anything less means you're a failure but that's that's what we preach all the time but you can tell me that this is my job, but I just no longer believe it. I just no longer believe that it extends beyond. And when you come and preach to me and tell me that you as a man understand the fact that you don't call in the wife 
to the Quorum of the Twelve tells me you do not understand, mm -hmm. and you are not listening, and you probably don't care. <laughs> Does this sound to you like an organization that doesn't value women? Yep. I <laughs> was Sherry Dew at the end. Yeah, there's another good one with Sherry Dew where she talks about how when she very first, I and, and maybe we'll bring this up in another episode, whatever, I keep bringing this stuff up and I'm not pre-prepared to, to share it, whatever, but she talks about, uh, I think she's referencing when the gospel essays came out and the whole thing about the Book of Abraham translation process, all that kind of stuff. She mentions something like that, some controversial thing. I don't remember which. And she says how it, she was just like, it troubled her. She struggled with it. Uh, and then, she, you know, she goes about explaining the process of how she basically pushed her own doubts down, you know, doubt your doubts, uh, didn't trust her own reasoning and just trust in God, right? That whole bullshit again. Um, and back again, I mean, both men and women are expected to do that, of course. Uh, but back again to, you know, subservience of your own feelings, your own, your own needs, your own questions um, to this, you know, to this God. And let's not forget, because the brethren remind us clearly every time they speak at the pulpit, God is the same as the brethren, right? So how does that connect? The net result of that is subservience to the brethren, because they are speaking for God. So unquestioned obedience and allegiance to the current brethren, let's be clear, because they're constantly throwing each other under the bus, historically, right? So, so don't trust the past brethren, only trust what the current brethren are saying, and only until the next time they speak. <laughs> because they're changing all the time. Uh, uh, so anyway, man, yeah, back to I, it. I got I got to share a couple more of these. Yeah, yeah. From, here's one from Lorenzo Snow. It requires a great exertion on the parts of wives to keep pace with their husbands. It is much more difficult for wives to learn than it is for husbands because women have not got the degree of light and knowledge that their husbands have. Could it be any more fucking plain? <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, man. Had, had I, okay, so now he stands, who is this? Uh, Orson Hyde stands before congregation. He says, had I copied the style of address adopted by the fashionable world, I might have said, ladies and gentlemen, uh -huh. the order of heaven places man in the front rank. Hence, he is the first to be addressed. <laughs> Women follows under the protection of his counsels and the superior strength of his arm. Her desire should be under her husband, and he shall rule over her. Boy, this wow! I, I have more, but you know we'll that's spend all day on that. I that's mean, gorgeous. It's just so blatant, mm. you know. <laughs> wow. Um, some tidbits as we roll through this Wikipedia article. So it starts with women in church history. It makes the point. 19th and early 20th century accounts of Mormon history often neglected women's role in founding the religion. Um, however, a number of women had significant supporting roles. It talks about Joseph's wife, Emma. Um, 
She she compiled the church's first hymn book. She also served as head of the Relief Society, blah, blah. Women's suffrage. In the secular sphere, Utah Territory was at the forefront of women's suffrage. In 1870, it became one of the first states or territories in the Union to grant women the vote. But interestingly, later on, you'll see that the church comes out against the Equal Rights Amendment, right? So again, we have this con- continual inconsistency uh, in in the the I don't know behavior of the leaders of the church around women. Um, women used to be able to give blessings. Remember that. Um, uh, and then that disappeared. Early. Yeah. Real so early. in early yeah. church, women would sometimes lay hands on another person to give them a special quote women's blessing. Patty Bartlett Sessions recorded giving and receiving blessings from other women in her work as a midwife, uh, as well as Louisa Barnes Pratt in her life as a pioneer and missionary. Um, let's see. Current LDS policy says blessings are only to be performed by those who have the Melchizedek priesthood, um, so only men. Polygamy, we've talked—I think we've beaten that horse. Uh, I mean, we could talk, again, forever about polygamy. Um, Let's see, gender roles, church activity, yeah, yeah, go ahead. We haven't rented— mentioned uh because we couldn't find the source elder packer gave a talk in 93 saying that the three greatest threats to the church were intellectuals yeah go ahead and what else uh intellectualism and homosexuality is that right yeah intellectuals feminists and homosexuals were the three greatest threats yeah and then that and that followed uh there was oh no change to that. There wasn't, a, you know, another schizophrenic talk that disagreed with it later. <laughs> yeah, and there's a whole history of intellectuals, quote unquote, people who, I, instead of the term intellectuals, I would say people who say, "Hey, go ahead and trust reason and trust your doubts a little bit at least. Ask questions. Um, that's what? not that's not okay." So we see a trend in the church of these kind of people, if they're vocal at all, of being excommunicated. Um, um, homosexuals, yeah, we know the church's stance there. And then feminists, hey, don't say that, don't you dare say women should have more equal equal play in the church. We've got um, some clear history there of, of such people being excommunicated as well. Um, feminists. So, yep. Uh, look, marriage, responsibility to children, that's always been clear. Work, the guy should work, the mom should stay home, barefoot and pregnant, taking care of the kids. She better look uh, all together at church, though, each week. Um, modesty and dress, yeah, you know, don't be the evil temptress. Because then men won't be able to to handle themselves, and they may rape you or something. I I call that the 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 Muslim approach. I know I might offend some people who who follow Islam or whatever, but um, hey, the woman tempted me with her bare ankle, and I took her behind the barn and raped her. So she should be stoned to death for tempting me. Yeah, that's you know, crazy. That's it's yeah, crazy very stuff. Islamic in its in its uh, suggestion there. Um, 
here's an interesting tidbit. Factors affecting mental health. Mormon women um, are, are no more likely than other women to experience depression. However, Mormon women who experience depression have specific challenges. 1993 dissertation by Marlene Williams found a few differences in how Mormon women experience depression compared to mildly depressed Protestant women. <laughs> mildly depressed Mormon women felt more guilt and self-blame. Oh. Oh, yeah. Took responsibility for other people's behaviors and depended on others for approval. Uh, compared to non-depressed Mormon women, mildly depressed Mormon women were more likely to have role conflicts and feel their gender role restricted by their behavior. Interesting. Um, poor health, low income, less education, less perceived caring from spouse, all common themes in depressed Mormon women. Um, yes. Interesting. <laughs> hmm. Uh, menstruation has been an interesting topic. <laughs> don't need to get into that. I, I mean, uh, some temples in 2012 don't allow women to perform baptisms for the dead during their menstrual cycle. <laughs> uh, uh, obvious reasons. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, uh, endowment, uh, women were previously urged to be a priestess, quote, unto their husband, right? Not to God, to their husband. And then men were promised to be priests to God. In January of 2019 here, that was removed. That was one of the, the changes, one of the many changes that have happened to the unchangeable endowment that was pure revelation from from Freemasonry, uh, I mean, from God. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they changed that because that kept pissing Again, off women. Ac acquiescing to, you mm -hmm. know, the, the rumbling. Yeah. The dissatisfaction for the members. Hey, how come it's like this? Oh, by the way, the veil. I started thinking about the women mm. wearing the veil mm -hmm. in the temple and the fact that, you know, the idea that the, the priest could not, uh, only the the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and commune with God. Mm -hmm. And so what's being taught there is that the women, even, even just sitting there in the session have to keep their face veiled. That's right. I think that's what that is. And boy, that's concerned a lot of sisters. Over it has. Years. I mean, speaking of the veil, they, they used to have to veil their women, their face, during a burial, if it's an open casket, you know, they're going to be right. physically buried. Now that's not required. Another temple temple ceremony changed this year. There was a part in the ceremony where women veil their faces, right? That was discontinued. Yep. So why do you even have the veil as part of your costume now if you never use it, right? Because that's the purpose <laughs> of the veil. But that's a whole nother... <laughs> A whole other conversation, I wow. guess. Uh, they were required to veil their faces in the prayer circle. Now they don't have to. Well, it's yeah. the church's attempt to create some kind of equality. I guess, yeah. And they're sabotaging their own sacred ordinances in doing so. Yeah, that's like right. Said, Unchangeable. Yeah. Uh, in the 70s, this is this was a big kind of a... I don't know, what do you call it? Evidence, whatever of the bullshit. The LDS church literally fit 
directly came out against the Equal Rights Amendment, um, and very very clearly stated that 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 was not a supported amendment by the church. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what do you say about that? Right. Kind of like Jacob's doctrine in the Book of Mormon about not marrying more than one woman. Um, yeah. Uh, then dissent really started in the 20th and 21st centuries. And, and I'm, again, tidbit, tidbit, you know, reading through the Wikipedia article here. And, you know, there was the women in the priesthood movement. What, what are we, what are we, how are we going to wrap this up, Dave? I mean, what's, what's the well, whole point here, here's, I guess? Here's one statement, just to be fair mm-hmm. to the brethren, always picking on the women. Here's where Jedediah M. Grant is giving the husbands a little crap here. He goes, there are men that are used as tools by their wives, and they are just a little better in appearance and in their habits than a little black boy. <laughs> Yeah, let's throw in the racism, you know. Might as well throw. Oh my god, I, I just had to throw that one out That's there. That's great. Measure. Yeah. See, they they gave the, the brethren some hard stuff too. Come uh-huh. on. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, I don't know what my concluding thoughts are. I mean, uh, well, here's here's some. I guess my thought, my main thought on this topic is kind of what we were mentioning at the beginning. If you're, you can't have your cake and eat it too from a cult mindset, meaning if your doctrine says you have a loving, accepting, personal relationship, you know, type of God, God the Father here, uh, looks at all of his children equally, uh, bond and free, black and white, male and female, you know, Book of Mormon doctrine again, heaven forbid, um, that you would think would be reflected from the very beginning of the history of your church, right? You shouldn't have to go through social movements around you in your country that you live or whatever to suggest to you equal treatment, to suggest to you equal rights, you know, etc. And yet, and, and the church fought that, as did other organizations, because after all, it's being led by God who, wa- who wants to look at women equally. Well, let, let, look, historically, I guess the point in my mind is women have never been looked at equally in the world. And you want to take it out to that level, especially in religions, no different, and especially in Mormonism. And now, after all these years, little we'll throw them little bones, you know. Oh, well, guess what? You don't get the priesthood still. You still have this main role at home, you know, we're still going to support polygamy in the temple, but we'll throw you some bones. Uh, You don't have to put the veil over your face. (laughs) You know, it's like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't know, man. What what do you think? Well, yeah, I can recall and it's, it's whatever your beliefs are on this subject in the past. I mean, thousands of years ago, uh, many uh, cultures the women were the leaders mm-hmm. because it was it was uh apparent to the people that they had this these gifts including intuition mm-hmm. women have a much stronger sense of intuition than men do inherent wisdom mm-hmm. that and and so they said well they're let them lead and and uh, a lot of them became what 
uh, later became known as the fertility cults, mm, uh, yep. where the power of the procreation was the preeminent power, not wearing a suit and looking well in a suit on Sunday. It, the power of procreation itself is, a, is the, the godly power itself, not sitting in a fucking chair in front of everybody and telling them what to do. Yeah, that's Whatever. right. That's right. And, you know, 2013 seems to be the catalyst year for this, um, where the, the, gospel print, the gospel essays came out that we've mentioned that addressed a bunch of these core concerning issues, concerning doctrines of the Church. And that same year, 2013, uh, the Church started making some more changes to hopefully appease some of these concerns, you know. So they adjusted the the leadership council uh, to to create to include a greater role for the wife of a mission president, for example. So now the wife of a mission president is called sister training leader. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, the uh, they announced in 2014, young women primary organizations would be held in connection with its biannual general conferences. So in 2015. The church appointed women to its executive councils for the first time. Yeah. So the church appointed Linda Burton, president of the Relief Society, Rosemary Wixom, president of the primary, and Bonnie L. Oscarson, president of the Young Women's Organization. Um, you know, so, so, you know, change, we talked about changes in the temple ceremony where Eve is no longer, you know, held to her husband. She's, she's equally held to God. Um, They'll keep doing this. They'll keep they'll, doing they'll it. They'll keep yeah. trying to. But, you know, my heart goes out. Well, I totally love that lady that commented on Stevenson's situation where she, that she was able to vocalize that. I'm thinking of the majority of Mormon women who quietly just press along, go to church, mm. do all the work at home. Don't really say anything about it, but quietly, they're they're aching. They're inside. suffering. Yeah, they're suffering. Yeah. Th- those are the ones that I feel the most for. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, yet another reason. Uh, well, yet another example of the lasting damage that this cult organization does to people. In this case, women in the church. And and yet another example of the types of that's an umbrella of damage. So we've talked about some examples in our episode today. There's an umbrella over all these dozens and dozens of ways that women are hurt in the cult of the Mormon church. And and I guess that's my final thought on that. Uh, it okay. needs to, it needs to stop. It needs to be recognized. It needs to be exposed. And, and you know, yet another reason, I guess, for awareness, right? Awareness and, ex- and exposure of these issues. So. Well, yeah. I'm going to go uh, change the spark plugs in my gasoline-powered back scratcher. All right. Yeah. Running run a little low. And... <laughs> Possibly work on my electric dog polisher and, <laughs> you know, these are all Sunday activities 
expressly <sighs> forbidden in the Old Testament, but hey. Yeah. I, I, I don't care. Those gasoline-powered back scratchers, man. Yeah, they do the job. <laughs> oh, man, you crazy song bitch. That's me. Yeah. All right, everybody. We love you. Women, we feel for you. We're not going to be able to ever understand completely as men. Uh, but I saw some of it, like in my wife. And my wife uh, was the one who gave this idea as the topic of this episode. So I appreciate that. Shout out to her. For those of you listeners who know who she is. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and kudos to her um, for, for bringing this up. So thanks, everybody. Love you. We'll check in with you next time. 